Welcome back to the final episode of season 14 of the VMP Anthology podcast. If you don't know by now, this season covers Ghetto Records and the seven album box set covering all of the label's LPs that were released in its very short window of time. It was run by Latinx music legend Joe Batan, and it put out some of the craziest and best Latin music in the early 70s. The box is still available. If you haven't gotten it and are listening here, go check it out. It's on our website now. In this episode, my co-host Pablo Iglesias and I discuss the final two albums in the Ghetto Records box, Palos de Fuego by Candido, and a brand new LP created solely for this box, collecting the seven inches that Ghetto released at the end of its run, and a couple of previously lost Joe Batan singles that cover a variety of topics. And we get into that in this episode. Me and Pablo discuss the final album and what you can expect from it, which is making its debut here in this box. It did not exist prior to this moment. So without further ado, here's me and Pablo. Okay, so Candido y Sumuviento. Man, the timbales on this record. I think this one might be my personal favorite in this box. Like, I just, mm-hmm. the timbale stuff is just nuts. So tell me about Candido first. Then we can get into, you know, this yeah. being one of the last records on, on Ghetto. Candido um, was uh, a nickname. <laughs> and uh, his, his name, his real name was Joseph Pedro Rodriguez. And uh, and he had a twin sibling, Harold Harry Bongo Rodriguez. So you're you can see right now Tibales and Bongos, right? And ever since they were little, well, we're talking like the late fifties. They loved percussion. They were mad for it, and they played on pots and pans. And you know you hear this of a lot of these people who have become great uh, percussionists later. And they worked their way up from there, from um, you know sort of stepping in as as young tweens and teens into these bigger orchestras and wowing everybody with their pyrotechnics to uh, to almost being too big for the britches and, you know, eventually needing to move out on their own. But I would say Candido was most famous before he went solo by, by playing with a guy named Richie Ray, Ricardo Ray Maldonado. And so Candido would be so uh, active on the timbales, he would jump up and down and just do a lot of um, tricks and stuff like that, but always, you know, keep the beat and do great solos. But eventually he he realized he wanted to learn more about arranging and uh, really become, you know, a fully professional musician and, and, and study different aspects um, the way his idol Tito Puente, you know, also studied theory and composition. And also at that time, his wife was really supportive in pushing him to to start his own group, which he called El Movimiento, which means the movement. So he was saying like, you know, I'm starting this movement. Um, and exactly how he came to Ghetto, I, there's no real paper trail and there's there's nobody left to talk to because sadly, um, Candido passed away uh, in the last few years. And um it's it's just speculation, but basically, I would think he was looking for a label, you know. And uh, he his his arrangements were big band arrangements, 
again, like his idols of, of the Palladium Mambo era, like Tito Puente. And uh, he had as a, as a secret weapon, again, Jose Madera, um, who, who had worked with Paul Ortiz in the arranging seat and, and orchestra direction. And, um, you know, when I talked with Jose Madera, he mentioned that his father, uh, Jose Madera Sr., Pin Madera, saxophone player, who had been with Machito for many years, was there behind the scenes helping to work on the tuning of the band and arrangements because a lot of these band members are really young and um, maybe not so disciplined. I think what's grabbing you when you hear the album, what's grabbing you is not just the pyrotechnics of the percussion, but just the big band sound overall. Totally. It's like, it's very dramatic. And, Uh and, and weirdly for the seventies, it's kind of retro. It's, it's, it's like, the stray cats in the eighties doing, um, <laughs> yeah, sure, you know, yeah, and then Brian Setzer like having an orchestra. Um, it, it's it's like super super modern in its strength, but it's definitely hearkening back to an earlier era. So if you if you haven't really been exposed to that before, it's kind of like a steamroller thing. I'm like, whoa, this is like fast and hot, and like you know a lot of instruments here. <laughs> but apparently, according to Jose Madera, it was like he had a lot of trouble like keeping everybody in line, and sometimes the singer wouldn't show up, and the singer, even though there's a photograph of him on the back cover, and and he went on to do some other uh, records, he didn't get any credit. <laughs> <laughs> if you read the notes, you know, you can you can find out a little about that tension and scenario. Um, but the album cover photo is great. You know, Palos de Fuego means sticks of fire. So he's playing his timbali sticks so fast and so hard. They're like, whoosh, you know, kind of like the self-combusting heavy metal drummer from Spinal Tap or something. It's just uh, over the top. And Candido was... Just like Joe Acosta, he went to the same label to solo um, with his next album. But then after that, I think he had issues um, with mental health and drugs. And he just, I don't know, just, you know, he made a CD in the 90s. But uh, aside from playing with some other bands, he never led a band again Hmm. um, until much later. So, yeah, it's rare. They're all rare. Right. They're all kind of just special and fly by night. And one thing that Joe said to me about the sound on these records is it may not be super duper deluxe, you know, like the most luxurious type of sound. It's 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 more simple, but it inspires people because they think, oh, I can do that, too. You know, sure. it's, it's it's pretty natural sounding. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of gimmicks. The earlier records, especially, are, were very elemental. Totally, and, and yeah. maybe the Candido one is one of the more complex ones, and I mm-hmm. and I think that has to do with Candido's ambition and Jose Madera's amazing arranging skills mm-hmm. and and professionality. What's your song from from this record? <laughs> well, Palos yeah. de Fuego, the one you like, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just this great showcase uh, for Candido's fiery timbali work and uh, Jose Madera's experimental big band arrangements i mean mm-hmm. you, you get you have it all there the whole record's great totally. and yeah. uh, you know i've played out every song for dancers but palos de fuego is a good introduction for sure
aquí viene Candido con su movimiento y su palo de fuego. the final record this one requires a little bit more explanation than the others because (laughs) this did not exist prior to this box set i guess talk me through what's on this record and then uh there's a couple of joe baton songs the roberto clemente song that you alluded to earlier in this podcast and then also drug story which was really inspired by that night that he spent you know uh, fleeing the police in some ways. So I guess what what is on this final record? Well, I realized that we needed to do a final record if we were going to 
get everything in the ghetto records um catalog because they did do these stray 45s with some songs that weren't on any album um and also it's it, it was this way to to bring up and showcase the soul side of the label because there were these 45s <clears throat> by the edwards generation and onesie mac that uh did not have any proper lp to go with and they were straight up soul what what are you gonna do though if there's only a few singles that doesn't make an entire lp right well i happen to have stumbled upon these stray joe batan songs that were on a tape that was thrown in the trash so i thought hmm what if we put that together along with the Roberto Clemente 45 that that uh, was the promotional record that went with this huge concert um, that Joe Batan did uh, towards the end of his time with Fania. So I figured we could close the chapter of Ghetto Records on one side with the odds and sods, uh, the, the leftovers and non-LP records, including there, there's uh, an Eddie LeBron 45 where the band had left him, as I mentioned before. So it sounds different, but there was no other follow-up LP recorded for it. <laughs> and then, of course, there's a few 45s that are already have songs on the LP. They were just like, you know, to capitalize on, on possible hit singles. So we didn't include that. So... The thing is that the song, you know, that the album takes its name from, Drug Story, is so amazing and it had been hidden for so long that we just felt like that needed to be the focus, that needed to be the title. So we ended up switching and putting, even though chronologically speaking, it it comes a little bit after some of the ghetto, but before some of the other ghetto 45. So, you know. It technically, conceptually should go at the end because it's not a ghetto release. But, um, you know, we wanted, we put it first because we just felt like, wow, people need to hear this insane, you know, 12-minute long ode to the dangers of drug misuse. (laughs) So the thing is that Joe definitely remembers recording it and and it was he thought it was uh on speculation like you know while he was in the middle of doing all these recordings for fania it wasn't specifically slated for any one record but when masucci and uh, pacheco were in the studio and heard the song they're like oh no 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 this is a song about drugs we can't we can't put this out (laughs) and it's 12 minutes long (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, they weren't really i guess they weren't ready for a concept although they did allow Ray Barreto to do like a 12 minute drum poem song. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I think really it was more the drugs. They just didn't want to be associated with something, even if it was an anti-drug song, which it was. Um, and it tied in with the zeitgeist of the time with all these other records, concept records, um, certainly in rock, but also in, in soul and funk Superfly, and uh, what's going on. And just, just all these other, Longer format songs. I mean, the Temptations changed to psychedelic lengths for their songs and messages. And so Fania should have kept it, but they said, no, no, we're not interested. And like I said, there there is this piece of paper, this evidence, this receipt that has the Ghetto Records logo on it um, for the recording of 
Drug Story and Latin Soul Square Dance, the other rejected uh, song. Um, so definitely there's some kind of paper trail, but um, why did those songs disappear from Joe's life? Well, again, it's what we were talking about. Since they were rejected, they basically went into storage and then into the trash when the studio closed. And uh, I was alerted to to the tapes being found by someone who was selling them. He was selling them in order to to fund uh, an operation that he needed. <laughs> and um, and I knew somebody who wanted to buy them. The person who wanted to buy them had sent me there to check out this claim, like, oh, an unreleased Joe Patan. And, and I went and I was like, this is incredible. I didn't tell anybody about it for years because I it was in legal limbo. I didn't know what the, the scenario would be with it. Then closer to now, when um, I thought there might be a way to, to reissue it correctly, I, I talked to Joe about it. He said, oh, yeah, I remember that song, but I don't have the tape. And I said, well, I happen to know somebody who does have it because it was found in the trash. And he flipped out about it. And then when I played it for now again, you know, they just went nuts and they were like, wow, this is incredible. So we we negotiated it all. And uh, the wonderful day has come where everybody can hear it. The Latin Soul Square Dance, um, there was a shorter version with a slightly different, you know, it's just a different take um, that isn't as good that was put on a 45 by Fania back in the day in advance of an album that Joe was supposed to do that was called, uh, it says on it, uh, San Frantasia or something like that <laughs> um, was the title of it. Um, but um, that was all that happened. And then when when Fania was uh, reconstituted in our current era and uh, they were working with Wax Poetics and they reissued um, Joe Batan album, Singing Some Soul, there was some extra space on the album and they put out that 45 version, shorter, mm. different tape. But this one was rejected and it was in the same tape can as as drug story so it's it's fair game and right. so we were like well let's put it on there because it's got this funky drum break mm-hmm. but the story behind drug story as joe tells it wasn't so much what happened to him with ghetto records because i think chronologically that might have happened a little bit after it's oh, okay but it's appropriate certainly and that's why i was like Let, let's call this drug story because <laughs> ghetto records could be said perhaps to be a drug story but um that's not being too subtle i guess but the real drug story was what happened to the first spanish language singer in joe's band because like i said during the early years with fania joe would not sing the spanish language tunes the way he does now he would sing the english language language ones and then he had various guys puerto rican guys from the neighborhood who who were native spanish speakers so his, his first singer was named uh, George Joe Pagan and uh, he got sick. He got uh, like hepatitis, I think from a dirty needle, got really ill. And actually uh, a number of the band members shared the needle. They were all ill. Um, And, but basically uh, once you get that, if you, if you don't get treatment, I mean, you know, you're in a bad way. Everybody else in the band survived, but George Joe Pagan died. And so this song, which Drug Story came a number of years later, was inspired by 
the in, in very intense scourge of heroin that was happening uh, at that time, it was really tearing the whole community apart, communities in general, um, but certainly the Latino community in New York. And uh, that really was the impetus for doing the song. It came from experience of, of what happened directly to Joe and his band members, but also just the general vibe of the times. And mm. uh, he had other songs that were based in reality as well, you know. So it was just, it wasn't for him. It wasn't such a big leap. Um, he was very disappointed that Fania couldn't make that leap with him. But if you look at his other protest, as it were, songs or his reality songs, there's so many of them. Every album has, you know, three or four about right. things that happen to people in, in his world or that happened to him. It just was a natural progression for him. And I think it was it was really part of the straw that broke the camel's back and, and why he left Fania. So I think it, it's good to have it on this seventh bonus album to bookend the Ghetto 45s because it points us in the next direction. my friends, is where this season of the podcast ends, and also, obviously, where the story of Ghetto Records ends. We'd like to thank you for buying this box set and for listening to this season of the podcast. This one was, uh, I guess, you know, one of the biggest leaps of faith that you've ever taken in terms of these anthologies. None of this music was available on streaming until we started rolling this one out. So a lot of you bought this without hearing any of the music. And that is incredible. Hats off to you. Great job expanding your horizons. This box uh, is extremely dope and we're really proud of it. There are still copies available if you are listening to this and just listening to the podcast version of the Ghetto Records story. You can still go to vinylmeplease.com, search Ghetto Records. You will find it. It is in our store. This was a really fun season, a really fun box. Thank you for being here. I guess all that's left for me to do at this point is to give you the credits and maybe a hint at what's coming next. This season of the VMP Anthology Podcast is hosted by me, Andrew Winnestorfer, and by Pablo Iglesias. It's executive produced by me, Andrew Winnestorfer, and it's produced by Jim Hankey of the Vinyl Emergency Podcast. Thanks to Now Again Records for partnering with us on this anthology. And I leave you with this. Listen to more Willie Bobo. But that's not all. By now, you are aware that VMP Anthology 15 is 50 years of the comedy store. But VMP Anthology 16 
is also going to be coming very soon. And I am sorry, it is not VMP Anthology, the story of Impulse. That is coming next year sometime, so keep a lookout for that. The next VMP Anthology, however, will also be jazz-focused. The caveat there, though, is that you need a military rank to understand this one. And it would also help if you're from Chicago. That's all I can say. That's it for me. See you all very soon.